I felt like the combinations of flavors and different techniques that I learned at 11 Madison and Camden Place really shaped who I was, but it didn't necessarily push me to open up my mind with different ingredients. I think that the mindset of fine dining a lot of times, not always, but sometimes, especially where I was when I was just starting was, it was much more about, I want the best of the best ingredients, but not necessarily always looking at, you know, what's around me. And Dan was much more about, I don't care what I want. I want a farmer to tell me what I need to use. Amazing flavor is an amazing human who has perfected their craft. Welcome to Flavors Unknown, a series of inspirational conversations with renowned culinary leaders. Discover how their cultural identity shapes their creative process with your host, Emmanuel. Welcome back, flavor explorers, to another episode of the Flavors Unknown podcast. I am your host, Emmanuel Roche. I have been in the food industry for more than 20 years, both in Europe and in the US. And every other week, I have genuine conversations with acclaimed chefs, pastry chefs, and mixologists from around the US. Today, we are diving deep into the heart of St. Louis with one of its most celebrated chefs, Michael Galina from Vicia. From the nostalgic aromas and tastes of his childhood to his enlightening journey working alongside culinary titans like Daniel Hum and Dan Barber, Chef Galina's culinary path is nothing short of inspiring. Today, we'll uncover the philosophy behind Vicia, the cornerstone of Take Root Hospitality Group. Discover the stories behind the signature dishes and get an insider's view of the evolving St. Louis food scene. And for our home cooks, Chef Galina will even share his unique twist on the classic, the tartine. So grab your favorite pair of headphones and let's embark on this flavorful journey. Hi, Chef. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you. And thank you for joining us on Flavors Unknown. Really appreciate that you're giving some of your time. Oh, absolutely. I'm really excited to do it. Very good. So you, you are originally from St. Louis, correct? I am, yes. If you go back and close your eyes and say, what smells and flavors reminds you of uh, your childhood? Oh, wow. I mean, I think lots of grilling, lots of family dinners, you know, around the table at Christmas and Thanksgiving, a lot of that. Okay. So what kind of food was at, you know, family dinners? Well, you know, I think that's the funny thing about my story is like my family wasn't a huge group of cooks. So, I mean, my dad used to like to barbecue, grill chicken, different various things. But besides that, I think that's why I kind of got pushed into kind of cooking myself and kind of creating dinners and have, you know, looking at things to do. So what made you, you know, become interested into, uh, into food if it was not part of your family culture? I mean, I think that, you know, when I was first growing up, my grandfather was, you know, just kind of all over the place with taking myself and my brother and my cousins and trying to like create sparks of interest with us and taking us to, to different restaurants. And, you know, I think he was that kind of a, a, at home cook, wasn't, you know, necessarily the best cook, but enjoyed entertaining and having, you know, the whole family kind of get around a table. And, you know, he was kind of known for making Yorkshire pudding. 
So I guess if I really kind of think back to my first one, my first memories of of cooking with him, it would be Yorkshire pudding. And, you know, I think of thinking of the smells that came from that was actually, you know, smoke, you know, seeing smoke, hearing the fire detector, you know, almost every single time. But, you know, it, it I think kind of interests me so much because I'd see him every single year, the same, same thing happened, but, you know, he was still every year go back and make it again. And somehow it would always still come out delicious, whether, you know, we smoked out the in ho- entire house or, <laughs> you know, had the fire department show up. So I think that was kind of the first thing of like, you know, what's this guy doing? Seeing the drive behind him trying to, to you know, push himself to, even though he was struggling to to still, you know, push hard to make it, to make something delicious. Yeah. Uh, that's funny. It's became like, I guess, like a family story. After. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's something we still talk about and, My grandfather passed away over 20 years ago. And I think it's still something we talk about every single Christmas was, you know, just the fun of, you know, sitting around the table and, and starting every, every Christmas with that experience. <laughs> so can you share a bit about like the journey to, to becoming a chef and what were like some of the key moments and decision that led you uh, to where you are today? So I, I started kind of with the, you know, the normal routine of feeling like you needed to go to college. I love playing baseball. I think, you know, part of me wanted to grow up and be a baseball player, but oh, when I got to college... Cardi- and, a Cardinal yeah. fan, I guess. <laughs> a huge Cardinal fan. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> okay. But I think when I realized that uh, dream wasn't going to happen, I was, you know, I was at the University of Missouri. I didn't love school. I didn't like going to the classes. But, you know, after being there for about a year and a half, I, I got in my car one day with a friend and We kind of just embarked on a road trip over the summer of driving from St. Louis out to California and working our way up the coast. And, you know, I think growing up, my family, you know, we'd go on vacations to Colorado and Florida and things like that, but I've never been really pushed out of my comfort zone. So, you know, kind of getting to the car and heading to Californians, just stopping uh, along the way and having all these different experiences of just seeing new things and meeting new people and eating new things. I just kind of fell in love with food on that trip. But I, I think it still didn't necessarily connect to I could do that for a living. You know, I wasn't exposed to chefs uh, being a career. You know, that just was nothing my family ever talked about. But when I got back to St. Louis, I just started asking my question, why not? Why can't it be? You know, I love food. Uh, I really enjoy cooking. I just never really done it professionally besides you know, working in a little cafe here or there in like high school and college and things like that. But I always really felt, you know, really drawn, drawn to it when I was doing it, whether it was just like making a sandwich, just kind of like, well, let's put these flavors together and try this and try that. And yeah, when I got back to St. Louis, I just, I, I just kept on asking myself, you know, how can I do this? And how can I get back out to California? And I just kind of fell in love with one San Francisco and just fell in love with this idea of, of cooking for a living. So basically, after being back for, you know, maybe a couple months and doing another semester in college, I think I was just sitting outside of my dorm balcony. And I called my mom and I said, what do you think about this? And I was just brought up culinary school. And I was like, you know, I hate uh-huh. to have said that I've wasted two years of, of your money in college, <laughs> but, you know, it's just not working for me. But I really, really, you know, am into this idea. So Next thing I know, I just am, you know, applying to different culinary schools, got into what was CCA in San Francisco. I, I flew out there and I absolutely just fell in love with it. School clicked, everything clicked. I loved living in San Francisco. I love trying to stage at different restaurants, you know, 
over the weekends uh, when I could, just asking different instructors, hey, can you just get me in there for a day or two? I'll, you know, I'll do it for free. I just want to check out what they're doing. I just want to learn. But I was just really, really drawn to that. And after culinary school, you know, I just, you know, I, I moved up to Napa for a little bit. I, I started kind of working at, at Bouchon in a country club up in Napa. And I had a really, really good friend of mine in school that started working at Campton Place with Daniel Hum when he first kind of moved to the United States to uh, take over there. And I, I was just like, you've got, you've got to get me, you know, a trail. You know, I, I really want to check this out. I, you know, I love living up in Napa. I really enjoy what I'm doing, but like, I just know that like to, to become something, you know, someday I, I need to get myself into a kitchen like that. So, you know, he was fortunate enough to introduce me and get me a trail in the Campton Place kitchen. And With Daniel Hum, then? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what did you learn? What did you learn from me? How, how, how much time did you spend with, you know, in that kitchen and, and what did you learn from working with Daniel? I mean, I just, I think the most, I, I just learned structure in a lot of different ways that I'd never seen. I mean, there's one thing to love to cook and enjoy like creating different flavors and things like that. But then to be able to kind of, you know, put it all together and have a little bit more discipline and structure and just see all these different creative ways to do different things. Yeah, I spent, uh, I guess, about a year and a half to two years working with him out in San Francisco. Okay. And then, you know, that's when he was kind of recruited to go take over at 11 Madison Park. And I just built, I felt like a really good relationship with him as well. And I just really, you know, I felt like I learned a lot from him that he just kind of, he pushed what, or he made me push to, to really want to try to make something out of myself with, with cooking. So he all, he offered me a position to come with him to New York and help him, you know, when he took over at 11 Madison Park. So I jumped on that, obviously. I'd never even been to New York before I landed for that job, which was is a whole nother story. But yeah, I, I definitely see him as someone that really kind of shaped me in a culinary sense of just like, you know, someone that, I'm trying to think of the best word way to put it, but just, yeah, lots of discipline and structure and, and how I kind of look at different dishes and flavors. Okay. And see, even beyond cooking. So as you yeah. said, it's, you know, the discipline and the structure. So, and so how long did you stay there? And this is from there that you moved to Blue Hills and Stone Barns with Dan Barber? Yeah, similar. I, I worked in New York with Daniel for about a year. After that, yeah, I just, I saw that it was a kind of time to, to move on from that. I mm -hmm. had met Dan at an event that he actually did at 11 Madison. And I also frequented Blue Hill, New York in the city. And it was just kind of a joke of every time I would go in there and I would eat and I would just sit at the bar by myself or sitting with a girl that I was dating at the time and we'd be having dinner and the general manager, Frank Franco, would always come up to me and said, oh, so when are you going to come work for us? We're, you know, we're looking for people. And I'd always be like, oh, no, I'm, I'm good with where I'm at. And it just happened to be that one time I went in there and he kind of said that, that, that line to me again. And I was like, well, it's funny you say that because I actually just left 11 Madison recently and I'm kind of taking off a couple of weeks and then trying to figure out what I want to do. And I ended up staging at Blue Hill, New York the next day. And then two days after that, I went up to Stone Barns to meet Dan and walk around the farm and check out Stone Barns. That uh, was a really oh. different experience there. It's, it's incredible. The cooking, the cooking philosophy was, you know, from Dan Barber is obviously very different from every other chef that you, you work at or the restaurant that you work at before. Yeah, it really, it really opened my eyes. I mean, I loved working with Daniel and I, I felt like the combinations of flavors and different techniques mm -hmm. that I learned at 11 Madison and Camden Place really shaped who I was. 
but it didn't necessarily push me to open up my mind with, you know, looking at just different ingredients. I think that the mindset of fine dining a lot of times, not always, but sometimes, especially where I was when I was just starting was, it was much more about, I want the best of the best ingredients, but not necessarily always looking at, you know, what's around me. And um, Dan was much more about, you know, I don't care what I want. I want a farmer to tell me what I need to use. And that really just kind of that whole philosophy of, you know, we really got to work with the farmers instead of always wanting, wanting the best tomatoes, you know, what else do you need us to utilize to make you successful? And, you know, it's my job as a chef to, to figure out a way to cook that in a delicious way that people will enjoy. But yeah, I mean, I spent my first four years at Blue Hill, New York in the city, which was probably the most transformative time of my life of just being pushed in that, you know, that way of cooking. I mean, you know, there was a written menu, but Dan was much more about just having all these different, you know, vegetables prepped in certain ways on your station. And then we created new dishes throughout the course of the night and just, you know, really just forced you to think about food in a different way. Think about, you know, menu items, different dishes, you know, it just really, really pushed you, which was just incredible. The, the, the amount of things that it sparked just, you know, was pretty awesome. So was it a, a collaborative effort between all of you guys, the chef working with him, or did, did he, um, you know, give like directions, you know, for the dinner of the evening based on what ingredients were available? So how, how did it work? Yeah, I mean, he, he did the chef cuisine at the time because I was, I was a sous chef at Blue Hill, New York. Yeah, there was definitely a menu. There was definitely a structure, but then there was also this kind of like off menu thing that if you came in and you just said, I'd love for you to cook for us, which was an, a, an option. That's when I think we would just kind of be like, okay, what do we have? You know, we, we got a whole pig in last week. We can't put this, the pork gel on the menu. So let's do that for these, like these menus. And, you know, we don't want the person that we, we're cooking this special menu for to look at the a la carte menu and see the dishes that they're having. So what can we create with that? So I think it was a little mix of, you know, just working so closely with him because it's a small kitchen and, and Dan was so always so involved that it was just kind of like, he'd lead you in a way, but then let you kind of take it home or, you know, he'd be there for you the majority of the time, but then he'd show trust in you to, you know, okay, now it's your turn. How about you go cook for this person and, and things like that. So what inspired you to return to uh, St. Louis and, and open, you know, VCA your restaurants? I mean, you know, I think after Blue Hill, New York, I mean, I, I worked for another four years at Stone Barns. I took a little bit of time off in between as well and staged in, in Sweden and Spain. And yeah, I felt like after those four years at Stone Barns and having, you know, four incredible years at Blue Hill, New York, that time in Europe, staging at places, and then four years at Stone Barns, I just felt like, you know, it was time to kind of take that next step and, and kind of start thinking about, you know, doing something for, for myself. And I had met my wife by then. So we were just kind of looking for, you know, what do we want to do next? And, you know, just kind of thinking about opening a restaurant, starting a family, starting a restaurant family. We just wanted to be somewhere where we felt like we had plenty of support. And my fam my whole family is, is still in St. Louis, my brother, my my parents, a few grandparents, aunts and uncles. I mean, so, you know, we knew that, you know, whatever we had to do to become successful here, we'd have the people to kind of help us along that journey. Okay. So that meant a so, lot. Before we go to to your restaurant, you mentioned something, you know, going to Europe and uh, Spain and, and Sweden. So Spain, I had a lot of chefs 
especially from your generation that have been, you know, to, to Spain. A lot of the, the same chef, in fact, went to Denmark, as we know, you know, in Noma and so on. But uh, I think that's the first time that I heard about Sweden. So, so why Sweden? You had an opportunity there. There was something specific that appealed, you know, for you to go there. Uh, yeah, I worked with at Favikin with Magnus Nielsen. Okay. So Favikin, I mean, it's like I think it's like six hours north of Stockholm. Uh, it's a you know a restaurant in the middle of absolutely nowhere. I mean, they cooked four days a week for like sixteen people a night. The menu was kind of rewritten every day. You know, we'd start with a meeting, and then it was really just kind of something you know, run out of the woods. You know pick this, grab this, you know, go down to the garden and grab this amount. We'd, we would prep one more than what, how many ever people we were doing. So if we had 16 covers that night, we would prep 17 of every item. And yeah, I mean, it was just an, an incredible opportunity. Uh, just How long did you stay there? I, yeah, I was just there for a month. A month. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You were lucky to be there, I guess, during the summer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. I was there and I think it was August. But yeah, I mean, it was. I was more kind of taking... This kind of in-between break of, I was finishing up at Blue Hill in the city mm -hmm. and, you know, Dan and I just agreed that I would, you know, maybe leave for two or three months and just kind of like reinvigorate myself and, and kind of put myself into some new kitchens and, and just kind of see some new ways to do things and kind of spark, you know, more creativity. And I think it was somewhere definitely that really opened my eyes to lots of fermentation, you know, and different practices like that, that, you know, I try to still do a lot, you know did at Stone Barns and then also at Vicia in our restaurants here in St. Louis. So now you are the chef owner and uh, you mentioned this, you know, family, you know, the business and this uh, local hospitality group take root hospitality with like the different restaurants. So can you tell us a little bit about the, the, the group and the objectives and the values that you have in, in this group? Yeah. I mean, our, our philosophy is to kind of in, immerse ourselves in the local community, try to use as, as much local product as we can. I mean, For the first year that Tara and I moved here, Tara's my wife, we, we did pop-ups in St. Louis, but then we also, um, we just went and visited all these different people. So, you know, the people that we get our milk from now, we drove two hours and, and met them and then sat down with their family and talked. And same with a lot of the different farms that we look, we, we use now. We just, we tried to build relationships. So, you know, that's something that's very, very important to us is supporting our local community and our farmers and artisans and you know, different people doing some really special things here. You know, the food that we cook, we just kind of stick true to our roots of, again, what I was saying earlier about Stone Barns and Blue Hill is like, you didn't always order it. You didn't always order anything. It was really just like, what did the farmers drop off? And let's, you know, be collaborative and put our minds together. And what can we create with that? So, you know, at, at Vistia, we don't have a menu. You come in, we ask you if you have any dietary restrictions or, you know, any allergies or restrictions. And then we, we handwrite a menu for you. It's similar to kind of what we did at Stone Barns, but on a, a smaller, you know, Stone Barns was, you know, a five hour experience and, you know, 30, you know, courses, we do it in a smaller format that we call our farmer's feast, but it still allows us to just utilize product in a unique and different way. You know, sometimes all the cart menus, you know, you're having to order just too much of something, not knowing if it'll sell or not, but you have to have it on the menu. Whereas, We try to just utilize the things that we can get from from different people. And if the menu changes, you know, two times a week, then it does. It changes every two or three weeks, and that's when it happens, depending on what we what's available and okay. what we can get. 
Okay. And so the local ingredients and working with those local farmers, fishermen, you know, artisans and so on that you just mentioned, do you have like a strict definition of what local is? So that means that you decide to work with people that are in, I don't know, 25 miles, you know, around the, the restaurants, 50 miles, a restaurant. Do you have, do you, do you have like a, that approach? I mean, I, I, I had conversation with chefs that, you know, had concepts, for instance, and they said, Hey, we work with farmers in like 10 miles from the restaurants. And that's the way how we work. So I'm just curious uh, for you if it's that, let's say principle or our stretch probably reaches more. I mean, for me, it's, it's a little bit more even about relationships we've built and even in the past, like we get our seafood directly shipped from Maine mm-hmm. from, you okay. know, a, a group that, that I met years ago at Blue Hill that we just stayed in touch with and you know there are people that go down to the the docks in the morning and you know you put in your order and they let you know what they can get you and they send it to us overnight you know some of our farms are within 10 to 15 minutes others are, are farther out throughout missouri and illinois and, okay okay um we do our best too i mean i you know i wish i could say that we were 100 percent local but you know with Fisia, you know is a busy restaurant our more casual restaurant winslow's table is also very busy so we definitely have to supplement from other from our other areas as well but you know with some of our larger accounts you know we we specify as much as we possibly can that we want to be working with missouri illinois you know the, the most we can so talking about local produce ingredients if there's any like a particular ingredient that inspired you uh, recently oh recently i mean i love kohlrabi it's one of my favorite vegetables which okay, i think yeah. that you know i love the whole process of it i love it when it's a golf ball size of kohlrabi that you can just eat like an apple or dip through some pesto after you clean it. Or we also work with this variety called Cossack kohlrabi, which is almost like it's bigger than a softball. And we peel it and we turn it into like taco shells and we serve one of the snacks we do at Visia. It's kind of a taco, but instead of a tortilla, we we utilize the kohlrabi oh, thinly cool. sliced of the shell and we put uh-huh. you know black beans, kale, roasted shiitake mushrooms, we make different hot sauces through fermenting chilies from our, we have a really incredible garden that surrounds Visia and then different herbs and, and things like that. But I would definitely, kohlrabi is one of my favorites, I think is also kind of something that's not used all the time out there, but when you can get it here, it's really delicious. It's nutty. I mean, you use kind of more of the root and the greens, but just kind of thinly slicing that and marinating it or, you know, pickling it is, is super delicious and sauteing the greens is really nice. But I'd say those are two Things that are kind of inspire me, you know, late spring, early summer, kind of where we're at now. It seems that, you know, the produce obviously are your source of inspiration and, you know, the product. But do you have any other influences or inspiration that comes outside of, let's say, the food and the, the culinary world? I mean, I think my biggest inspiration is my staff. I mean, I think that we try to sit down and just bad ideas off of each other and talk, you know, we start all the different restaurants. We have meetings every day with everybody where we just sit down and we talk through the menu and, and really try to like, you know, myself and my partner, Aaron, who's our culinary director and my wife. And, you know, I think we all think collaboration is the best way to be successful, you know, because one or two minds can only come up with so much when you're trying to, to push and be creative and a little bit different. So I think my biggest inspiration comes from, just sitting down and talking to people and, you know, discussing what's available and what we can do with it. And, you know, I, waste is a big inspiration for me. Like, what can we do with, why is that going to the garbage? What can we do with it? Can we make 
kimchi with it? Can we make a tea? Can we make a spritzer? You know, if those herbs in the garden are overgrown, what else can we do with them? You know, so I think, you know, those kind of things inspire me. So uh, if the produce is the first, the produce is the first step in your creative approach, what's the next step? So when, when do you, how do you build like a new dish for, you know, for the menu? Oh, I mean, I, it's kind of all over the place, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I almost always have either a notebook with me or I, I, you'll see, <laughs> if you ever looked in my phone, you'll see that I can email myself about 20 times in a day. And sometimes just like looking at something can create a spark. And then throughout the course of the day, I just take notes and like something might come to me there. I mean, there's times it's weird that I'll like just be like staring at the ceiling at one o'clock in the morning. And it's just kind of like my brain is, it's hard yeah. to turn off sometimes. And I'll just like, I'll, I'll wake up the next morning and sometimes I don't even remember, but I'll send myself like eight different emails of like just different little things. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of use that to kind of just put together, you know, potentially an idea. And, and then it's just kind of, again, I like to, to talk, talk it out with somebody else, make it, taste it, see how we can improve it. But it's a lot of, it's a lot of tweaking. It's a lot of mental tweaking. tweaking and a lot of like, yeah, physically making it and eating it. So what is the most important for you? Is it the creativity aspect in the dish or is it the technique? I think the creativity. I, I, I don't know if I'm as technique driven. I feel like that's where my, where Aaron, my, my partner and I, where we kind of balance each other out because we both kind of just are always bouncing ideas back. And he, his career has been a lot more, I think, technique driven, whereas mine has always been like, you know, Dan pushing me to like, okay, we've got eight different varieties of lettuce. What are we going to make with? with them and we need six different things out of them because he obviously can't do the same thing with all of them. So I think, yeah, creativity and like just kind of trying to think of things, look at them outside the box of like, you know, how has somebody not had that vegetable? And I think that's where Aaron and I balance each other out because he, I can maybe throw something his way or he can throw something mine. And, you know, we can kind of between his more technique driven and mine being a little bit more of like trying to think of it outside the box and creative part of it, like, Together, I think we come up with some really cool stuff. Can you give us an example of uh, something recently that you put on, on the menu or that you are doing in the tasting menu at VCA, for instance, that you feel that, you know, you, you really leveraged, you know, your, your creativity or that was really outside of the box? Sorry to put you on the spot. But no, 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 that's, that's okay. Yeah, I know we're doing this really delicious tomato, tomato tartare with caviar. And we kind of look at making like a French toast. So it's like this really savory, like, We do reduce mushroom stock and make like kind of a royale and we soak the brioche and then basically make like this kind of like mushroom brioche French toast and then just kind of a different preparations of tomato confit, raw tomato, lots of pickled shallots. But just thinking of like that basic of, you know, what meat tartare, like tomatoes can take okay. on that same texture and flavor in a lot of ways. And then uh, we make a, uh, a smoked bone marrow vinaigrette that we mix into it a little bit, kind oh. of. Uh, porcini aioli made with porcini oil. We just mm -hmm. use some of the, utilize some of the scraps of different mushrooms and dried porcinis and make this really flavorful oil and then emulsify it into a mayonnaise. So like just kind of adding this, you know, this, these te different textures of tomatoes and then the smoked bone marrow and this mushroom aioli, lots of chives and pickled shallots and some cornichons. It's just this really nice pop of flavor. And the first course of the menu at Visia is you just get this like, you know, group of snacks, which everything is kind of meant to be, uh, maybe something's a little sweeter, something's a little bit more acidic, something's a little bit more savory. And they just kind of, you know, it's kind of used to, up, you know, open up your palate for the rest of the meal. 
but it's just like these four or five different little snacks and, you know, vegetable pre- preparations. And that's one of them that's kind of like, you know, on our kind of our next, our extended menu where we do kind of the whole thing. You get, you get that bite. And it's, it's definitely one of my favorites right now. Wow. <laughs> That that was a mouthful. I mean, I, I'm really yeah. no, 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 no. It's great. I I just want to now. I have to find a way to come to St. Louis. <laughs> yeah, so love uh, to have and, you. and try for sure. Thank you. So you talk about Visia, but obviously in the group you have as well. I think it's more like a casual setting, correct? With a Winslow table. Yes. Can you talk to us a little bit about this the concept? Yeah, Winslow's Table is kind of our breakfast lunch spot. We also do do dinner there as well, but it's more of kind of like Winslow's all day. So, you know, in the, in the daytime, we do, you know, different egg preparations, kind of the menus a little bit all over. We, we do a shakshuka. We also do a, a breakfast burrito, but it's it, it's same thing, trying to utilize local ingredients and really good product. Just thinking of breakfast and lunch, you know, we the lunch concept is is something we started at Visia and then we moved over here when we opened up Winslow's table. It's more of this kind of like pick two instead of just having to go and order like a big sandwich and chips. We do kind of a mix of sandwiches and tartines and grain salads and some more vegetable inspired like salads and dishes and things like that. And then we allow you to kind of pick a combination. So you don't have to um, just get the sandwich or just get a grain salad or whatever you can do kind of a you pick two or you pick three kind of thing where you can try smaller formats of them. So I could do a tartine and a grain salad, or I could do a chilled corn soup and a beet salad or a summer bean, peach and tomato salad. So we really kind of leave it to where you can, I mean, it's like how I, I kind of like to eat. So I like to cook at home and sure. yeah, just yeah. kind of go to the market, pick out some fun produce and create a couple different fun dishes that kind of can balance each other out. And yeah, we try to, we try to do that with that. And then for dinner, we just kind of extend that menu and also do a Sicilian style pizza, kind of a more focaccia style pizza where we kind of think, you know, try to think outside the box and do some more fun vegetable focused uh, pizzas, a couple pastas and, and, and then that. Okay. So I heard tartine and, you know, I, I wanted to ask you and pick your brain on what would be your suggestion for a home cook to prepare. Maybe then let's do a tartine, but, you know, Michael Galina style, obviously. Yeah. So what unique spin would you suggest? me let's say as a home cook to to make yeah i mean i think the simple the better i don't like to manipulate things too too much i'm a huge fan of a tomato tartine that we do here we make our own you know ricotta cheese and we'll strain it and make it nice and thick which is you know you could also buy a really great ricotta at the store and strain it as well we make our own bread here so we we do our tartines on kind of a, a porridge style bread which is a sourdough starter that we fold buckwheat oats and groats and rice into so it's a little bit more structure so uh-huh. when you toast it, it it's nice and crunchy but also really soft as you start to bite through it but i love the tomato tartine just because you can just get a different mix of heirloom tomatoes slice them kind of thin season them with like some olive oil salt i love the combination of like a little bit of raspberry vinegar or fruit vinegar you know just to kind of finish whether you wanted to just kind of marinate those slather the toasted bread with uh, some of the ricotta and Put the, put the tomatoes on top. I think that's delicious. We also make a really delicious pesto, which I think is easy at home, you know, just gathering up some herb, fresh herbs and pumpkin seeds and sunflower seeds and garlic okay. confit and olive oil, I think is a really nice way of just like, you know, a little bit of pesto, 
ricotta and tomatoes or just, you know, fresh herbs on top of the tomatoes. I just love just kind of, you know, having something simple like that. Okay, very cool. I'm I'm going to try that this weekend. Um, yeah. And I do make pesto at home, but I do I do it with the pine nuts, obviously. But I, I understand that some people are allergic to, you know, to them. So I like yeah. your 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 version. That's, that's well, cool. I make we make your version right now too. We do a basil uh, <laughs> and uh, pine nut. We're doing uh, kind of an orchetti pasta right now that we just oh, toss yeah. with a little bit of that pesto and burst cherry tomatoes and lots of Parmesan cheese, and it's super super delicious. You probably have tasted, or you could have tasted that when you went in the south of France, because you know we we love to eat that part, you know that dish, I, yeah. with, um, you know with pesto, and we do it with a mortar, obviously. Uh, yeah. So yeah, pretty cool. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the uh, the the food scene in in Saint Louis. How w- mm-hmm. would you describe it, and how d- have you seen it change? In I would say in over the the past years. I mean, I I think it's an incredible food scene. I think the thing that uh, you know excites me the most is that just again it's it's a very collaborative group of people. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of extremely talented chefs and I think, you know, everyone has the common goal here to we know St. Louis is only going to get better if we work together. So I think you can go to a lot of bigger cities sometimes and it's all about <clears throat> how many stars do I have? I want to be the best. I you know, and you know everybody does the events together and puts on a happy face and smiles, but you know, I think it's not always as meant sometimes in some of your bigger cities. I think they're a lot more competitive and yeah. people want to you know, be the best. To where I think in St. Louis as a small, a smaller city, I feel like we know that, you know, we need to get along. We need to push each other and push, you know, working together and do some really cool things. Yeah. I mean, there's some really, really talented people here in St. Louis. And, you know, I grew up, you know, I kind of going back to the beginning of this, you know, I kind of told you, like, I grew up with a family that didn't love to cook. They weren't great cooks. And I grew up in kind of a bubble of St. Louis where it was kind of like you go to the same Italian restaurant, you go to the same pizza place, you go to the same Tex-Mex or whatever place. And nothing was ever very good. And, you know, nothing really, when I first moved away and moved to San Francisco and moved to New York, I'll be honest, I I didn't know if I wanted to ever come back to St. Louis because, Mm -hmm. you know, it was all thinking about my childhood. But when I met my wife, Tara, and we would just come back for a visit and she would kind of push me out of this, like this box of where I grew up in St. Louis and we'd go try the new, this new person's restaurant or that I was blown away. And I think Mm -hmm. that was another thing that contributed to when we were like, okay, where are we going to go? Where are we going to do this? It was, you know, family and the support system, but it was also just seeing this emerging incredible food scene. Um, And even thinking back, you know, eight years when we moved here, and how much it's even grown now. I mean, you know, I've got friends that I knew, you know, I had met in New York, this guy, Logan, he's opened two different restaurants here in St. Louis. He, he grew up here as well. And I think, you know, he went out and he worked with me at Blue Hill, New York in the city for a year. And they moved out to San Francisco and worked, worked at the French Laundry and Bouchon Bakery for a little bit and helped bake bread. And, and I think he came, you know, back in town and we got together and he was like, you know, what's it like here? And I said, if you're looking to do this somewhere, this is where you got to do it. It's just, it's a really incredible food scene. And, you know, like I said, it's not just my family as a support system. It's like when we moved here, you know, some of the top chefs here were reaching out to us right when we moved back. Just like, what, what can we do for you? What can we help you with? And, you know, to have that experience was, was really incredible. 
Okay, so let, let's let's switch to uh, rapid fire questions. So okay. we are going to start, in fact, with San Luis. So you and I are going on a tasting tour in San Luis. So what are like the five spots that you are going to take me to outside of your group, obviously, that I will have tasted before? Oh, gosh, that is hard. I would definitely say there's Balkan Tree Box, which is this really incredible Bosnian restaurant. Wow, God, this is this is tough. There's a, a place called Olive and Oak, which is a really great neighborhood spot, and they have kind of a pizza pasta joint down the street that I own. O Pizza, which I, I really every meal we go there is is really phenomenal. Union Loafers is a bakery. They do sandwiches during the day, pizza at night, and then they just opened up a bagel shop that's not too far from our from us. There are some really incredible, and I'm still just scratching the surface, so I don't even know if I want to say one name, but there's some really incredible small taquerias, which, you know, there's, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm still kind of scratching the surface there, but some really great, there's uh, Cherokee Street, which has just kind of all down the street is kind of these taquerias, and then there's like right on the other side of the bridge in Illinois, there's some really phenomenal little taco shops that are great. So, and then there's... Uh, Olive Street, which is just kind of a street with tons of different Asian markets and Asian restaurants, which is phenomenal. So it's kind of hard to pick one of kind of like the Latin scene and one of this like Asian street. You just kind of have to like park and just kind of like drive to take a day on each area and just okay. kind of drive to a little tasting track. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Very good. So what is your favorite guilty pleasure food? Oh, I think just ice cream. I'm not a big sweets person, so there's a lot of so really we, great ice cream in St. Louis. Which flavor? Which flavor? Now I have to ask you. Oh man. Okay. So there's Ted Drew's, which is famous in St. Louis. So I usually do this. I think it's called the Fox Treat, where it's like raspberries, chocolate, and then macadamia nuts. And then Clementine's is is I think probably the best ice cream in St. Louis, which is it's just super super phenomenal ice cream. And they do actually a vegan ice cream, which if you would have asked me. You know, if I like vegan ice cream, I would have said no way. But they do this like tahini chocolate chip ice cream that is just to die for. And we we use their ice cream in in our bistro. We have a small French bistro, Bistro La Florissant. We use their ice cream because it's a tiny, tiny little kitchen. So we don't have we don't have the the ability to make our our own ice cream there. So we utilize their their product there, and it's phenomenal. Okay, three cookbooks that inspired you the most in your career. Oh, wow. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I love Jeremy Fox's vegetable yep. cooking book. His is great. Um, trying to think of that inspired. I mean, if inspiring, I mean, I think you'd have to say the French laundry cookbook yeah, sure. from back in the day. Um, Cause I still look at that, you know, to this day, the French laundry per se, those cookbooks. That's right. I might have to come back to that one. I'm just like, my mind is like, Okay. So, yeah, I might have to think about that and come back. Okay. Biggest pet peeves in the kitchen? I think just cleanliness. Working clean, working efficient, you know. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, there's no... If you drop something, sweep it up, you know, things like that. Okay. So as I am talking to a Cardinal supporter here and fan, what is your ballpark go-to food and stadium food? I mean, I just love a hot dog. Yeah, I mean, a good, a good hot dog with a little, some mustard is my favorite thing. Okay. okay. 
So no, no, no specific like topping or really sure. Just, just I mean, I, 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 as much as I hate to say it, I mean, my favorite hot dog is the Chicago dog, but I don't know if I'm allowed <laughs> to say that as a Cardinals fan, but exactly. Um, yeah, I think. <laughs> okay. Beside the, the classics, what condiment spice sauces do you like to have on hand at home? I mean, I just like to have like some good like ferments, hot sauces. I love pickled vegetables, you know, just kind of added to different things. Little jardineras. Yeah, just kind of like more like fermented kind of like acidic foods okay. to, to add. No hot sauce? No I hot know. Sauces. I love hot sauce too. Yeah. I mean, okay. more mild. I mean, I, I love, I, I enjoy heat, but I like it more when it's flavorful. Yeah. Okay. We, I can't remember off the top of my head what it's called. There's a restaurant in Detroit. We did a dinner back in the winter, uh, mm -hmm. and they it's an African restaurant where they make their own hot sauce, and it's phenomenal. Okay. I mean, I'm sure if you Googled it, they were just written about in the New York, New York Times, I think, recently. Okay. But it's okay. This, little, this small little African place. I think there's a couple of them now up in Detroit, and they, they jar their own hot sauce, and it's really, really phenomenal. Okay. Any thoughts back to the third cookbook, or nothing came back? In your mind. I haven't had time to think back. I'm just trying to think. I know, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess if I there, I don't know if they're necessarily cookbooks, but I mean, Kitchen Confidential was a book that really, you know, came out. Or maybe not came out, but I, I mean, it was still newer. I feel like when I started cooking and went to culinary school, and that was like one of the first books. So it's not as a you know a cookbook per se, but it was a book that definitely like opened my mind. That and I, I really enjoyed re reading Michael Rollman's books back when I first started cooking. So I, I like thinking back to even, you know, before maybe I was just opening all these books up and reading recipes. I think those really triggered a lot for me. And then, yeah, I would, yeah. I mean, the French laundry cookbook is, is definitely one, you know, more recently, I think the, some of the books that I love is like I said, Jeremy Fox's book. Mm -hmm. I love all the different bar tartine books, oh, yeah. the different tartine books of, you know, just looking at different, bread recipes and different, like just really incredible seasonal, you know, dishes and things like that. And I, I really enjoy actually the Jelena book, the restaurant in LA. I, I yeah. just, have you been there? I have. And I could, yeah. I could eat there every single day. Yeah. I yeah. I just, yeah. Was, I love I just, that restaurant too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it reminds me of kind of what we do is just like, mm -hmm. it's just very fresh. It's very organic. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it's maybe not always the most beautiful thing you've seen on a plate, but it's like, always the most delicious, you know, which means so much more to me when cooking than, than anything. Okay. Okay. So we, we, we are going to be done, but I just want to ask you, there's a question that you wanted me to ask you that I haven't asked you or no. I don't think so. I mean, I, okay. I, I felt pretty good. If you felt okay. like you got a pretty good rounded. Yeah. You know, yeah. 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 Absolutely. So, Chef, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate the fact that, you know, you, you came on, you know, on the show. So thank you. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. Well, folks, our taste buds have certainly been on a journey today. From the bursting kitchen of 11 Madison Park and Blue Hills at Stone Barns to the warm and inviting ambience of Vicia right here in St. Louis, Chef Michael Galina has truly opened our eyes to the art of vegetables-forward cuisine. Through his insights into the Midwestern cuisine scene, his collaborations with local farmers and artisans, and his unwavering commitment to innovation, we have been given a peek into the mind of a culinary maestro. As we wrap up, 
remember whether it's reimagining a classic dish like the tartine or understanding the nuances of St. Louis barbecue. It's all about the passion, creativity, and the story behind every bite. Until next time, keep exploring those unknown flavors and stay hungry for more. And until then, keep in mind that the people who likes to eat are always the best people. Thanks for listening to Flavors Unknown. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a follow on Instagram at Flavors Unknown and visit us at flavorsunknown.com. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts.